following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. We will look at verse 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2. A young boy plopped down on his chair with his arms folded and his lips pouting out because his parents told him to sit down. And he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. This world has a problem with authority. People hate authority figures telling them what they have to do, what they should do, what they can't do. Children disobey parents. Students disrespect teachers. Players disregard coaches. Uh, People uh, don't listen to the police. Citizens rebel against governments. Big picture, people reject the authority of God in their lives. But we've seen in 1 Peter that this world is not our home. And so we should be different from this world and the way they, in general, reject authority. In fact, we should understand more about authority than anyone else because we have accepted the authority of God in our lives. And because we understand that ultimately He holds all authority in the universe anyway. Last week we saw that our lives are important in witnessing for Christ. Peter urged us to hold ourselves away from fleshly lust and to hold to those good things, good, honest lifestyle, because ultimately we want people to see our good works, to see that good life, even if those people are speaking evil against us, because ultimately we want them to come to glorify God just as we did when we came to Christ. And now Peter continues by sort of expounding on what this good life should look like in different areas of our life. He's going to mention the realm of civil authority, which we'll see this morning. He's going to mention the household and servants and masters. He's going to mention the home with husbands and wives. And the key word in all of this is submission. He's going to use this word submission, or your your Bible may translate it subject to, You may have that word. Peter's going to use this word four times between now and chapter 3, verse 5. That's a lot lot of usage in a short area. And even though submission is tough for this world, because we, we don't want to humble ourselves and have someone else sort of tell us what to do or what not to do. We, we don't like that. This world doesn't. We're different. We're, we're under God's authority. And so let's look this morning at our Christian responsibility to submit to our civil authorities. Look at verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty 
for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Verse 13 sort of jumps up out of nowhere, doesn't it? Um, there's no transitioning words here. Uh, and so Peter intended for, for verse 13 to grab our attention in that way. As soon as he urged us in the previous verses to live this good life, and then he sort of just throws out submission to civil authority. And so Peter is letting us know how important this is. The first realm of our life that he mentions this in is how we respond to the government. And so he says in verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. This phrase, every ordinance of man, is sort of an interesting expression, but context makes it clear exactly what Peter meant. He was speaking of governments, he was speaking of civil institutions, of authorities, and his mention of kings and governors makes that uh, clear and obvious. And so he commands us here in verse 13. He commands us, and even with some, some pointed urgency here, to submit to all of these creations. Say, well, what does it mean to submit? I'm glad you asked. It's so important for us to understand what submission means so that we understand the importance of this command and we understand what we're not doing as well. But this was a word that was actually a military term. And it meant to, to be placed under or to be arranged under an authority. And listen, it involves obedience. It involves being subordinate. But there is no derogatory uh, idea with it here. There's nothing wrong about it. There's nothing weak about submission. This world may think there is, but not God. Just think about this. When a soldier is properly arranged under and obedient to his general, does that make that soldier weak or is that good and right and make everything run better? Well, of course. We know it's the right order of things. So do not view submission as some sort of forced compliance or some display of weakness on your behalf, but rather it's voluntary submission, recognizing that things have a proper order. This word was used to describe how the child Jesus submitted to his earthly parents. Mary and Joseph didn't force Jesus to submit, nor did Jesus submit out of weakness. We would all agree with that. But rather, Jesus understood and respected that parents have authority over children. And so even though he was the Lord of creation, he voluntarily, humbly submitted himself to them. This exact word is also used to describe how we should submit to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God is what James said. And it's the same word. If you submit to God, does that mean you're weak? I don't think so. Didn't Paul say, when I'm weak, I'm strong? It's the proper arrangement for you to be under God, for you to be obedient to Him. 
In fact, think about it this way. If you're not submitting to God, then what are you doing? You're rebelling against Him. And so rebellion is the opposite of submission. I hope those examples, and I hope that that discussion sort of helps us with what Peter commands us here and what what submission means, even in this context of, of civil governments. What it means is that Christians should not be rebellious, angry, rioting lawbreakers and troublemakers. We are commanded by a higher authority to submit to our civil authorities. Just to use one of our expressions, we should be law-abiding citizens. And when people reject the laws of the land, when they're not submissive, what happens? There's rioting, there's rebellion, there's anarchy, things that aren't in the proper order. I want you to notice something here in verse 13, that Peter actually does not limit this submission to certain types of government. The word every is pretty clear. It's just the word all. Now that's something that we as Americans, we might squirm with for a minute. We might wrestle with that one for a minute. Just think, would it be hard, or maybe I should say harder, more difficult, for you to submit to a communist regime? Would it be harder for you to submit to a monarchical system in which you have no say? But listen, when Peter wrote this, these Christians found themselves under the iron rod of the Roman Empire. Trust me, not one of us want to trade places with them. And yet that command doesn't change. The point I want you to see is this. You can be a Christian and you can obey this command regardless of what government is ruling over you. Haven't we seen governments change throughout Scripture? And yet Daniel and his friends, they, they were submissive to a point. We'll see that in a minute. One author just says it this way, Christianity is independent of any form of human, gov- uh, any form of human government. It doesn't take a democratic republic to be a Christian. It doesn't take an empire to be a Christian. Christianity is worldwide, cross-cultural. It is truth. But Christians should be the best, most upstanding, most respectful citizens in whatever regime they find themselves in. Christians should strengthen the fabric of society, not make it turbulent uh, and, and scary. And so submission is not limited to a certain type of government. And it's also, notice, not limited to certain levels of government. Right? Peter mentions the king as supreme, but then he goes on in the next verse to mention governors appointed by the king. This was just an example Peter used because it was the government they found themselves in at that time. It's the way the Roman Empire worked. The emperor would appoint governors that were sort of subordinate to him that ruled over certain areas. We know Pontius Pilate. He was the governor in Judea. Uh, during the time of Jesus. All right, so what we would say in our day and time and, and in the U.S., we would say whether it's on a national, state, or local level, whether it's the president, the governor, or the mayor, we're commanded by God to submit voluntarily, humbly, obediently, 
submit to civil authorities. Don't be rebellious. Don't be a lawbreaker. Don't be a troublemaker. Be submissive. And as I study through the Bible, there is only one exception to this command. And the exception is not submit until the tax code is unfair. You remember when Jesus was asked about that in a way? He was asked if the Jews should pay taxes to the Romans, and Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Even when the Roman Empire, with its outrageous and unfair taxation methods, was ruling over the Jewish people, Jesus didn't incite any sort of rebellion. He just said, pay your taxes. The exception is not submit until the people you vote for don't end up in office. First century Christians didn't even get a vote. The exception is not submit until the leaders are bad people. I'm not going to make a joke about politicians right now because that's too easy. It's low-hanging fruit, right? But I will remind you that when Peter wrote this, the leader of that government, the king, the emperor, was Nero. Nero was one of the most wicked men this earth has ever seen. Nero hired assassins to beat his mother to death only after other attempts on her life failed him. Nero was a man who intensified persecution against Christians by blaming them for the fire that burnt much of Rome in 64 AD, which some historians think Nero started. Nero was a man who crucified Christians and burned their corpses on fire to light the pathways in his garden. And yet while that man was ruling, Peter told these people who were suffering persecution to submit to your civil authorities. Our worst politicians don't hold a candle to Nero. In all of those scenarios and in a hundred more scenarios we could come up with, Peter said, submit. The lone exception I find in Scripture is this. Submit until submission is contrary to God. It's really that simple. Listen, until King Jesus returns, no government's perfect. He'll set up a perfect government. But until he returns, no government is perfect because they're made by men and made up of men. Some are better than others. Some forms of government are more honorable than others. Some do a better job of fulfilling God's design and purpose for civil authority, which he mentions. The purpose, and Paul talked about that in Romans, is to uh, punish the bad guys and praise the good guys. Some governments do a better job of that than others, and we, we understand that. But no government's perfect until Jesus is king. And so it is possible, and in some governments, maybe even probable, that laws might be passed ordering citizens to act contrary to God and His Word. That's the time 
when our submission to civil authority not only can be abandoned, but must be abandoned. If laws are contrary to God, we must obey God. And believe it or not, the Bible actually gives us quite a few examples of this and how God's people dealt with it in their lives, and it's some awesome examples, and we can learn a whole lot about how to handle ourselves in these situations. I want to give you a few of these. In Exodus chapter 1, there was an evil Egyptian pharaoh that rose to power, and he was worried about the Jewish population, and he commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill every son born to the Jews. What should these midwives do? Should they submit to that civil authority? Pharaoh's the king. Should they obey that law? No. Why? Because God says murder is wrong. And they didn't submit. And God blessed them for that. We're told they feared God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his three friends... They were taken captive to Babylon, and they were given this diet, this food that went against the dietary restrictions in the law of Moses. Well, should they submit to that? I mean, they're under a, a different government now. That's the government they find themselves in, this foreign government. Should they submit even if submission means breaking God's law? No. In fact, the Bible tells us they determined in their hearts not to defile themselves with the king's meat. And hopefully you know the story. God bless them for that. In Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar built this huge golden statue and ordered people to bow down to worship it when they heard the music play. Well, Daniel's three friends are in that chapter as well, right? Should Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow down to this idol? Should they submit to the authority of their earthly king, Nebuchadnezzar? Should they obey the law of the land? Not that one. Because we're to worship God alone. In Daniel 6, the king signed an edict not allowing anyone to pray for 30 days except to the king himself. Well, should people submit to that? Should they stop praying? Here's the tricky thing. It's only for a month. Daniel did not submit to that law. He didn't change anything, actually. Read the story. He just kept on praying to God like he always did. And God blessed him for that. Say, so he ended up in the lion's den. Yeah, but he also came out of the lion's den, remember? God blessed him for that. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 5. There's one final example, and I want you to see sort of the, the end of that example. Acts chapter 5, after the resurrection of Jesus, it's no surprise that the apostles went around spreading the gospel and preaching in the name of Jesus. However, the Jewish high priest and the Sanhedrin council, this group that had authority in Jerusalem, especially over the Jewish people, they commanded them to stop. When they didn't stop, they put them in prison. God delivered them from prison. They start preaching again. Were the apostles wrong? Should they not have just submitted to that civil authority and quit spreading the gospel? Absolutely not. Because God commanded us to preach. And so notice Acts chapter 5, 
Notice what Peter says in verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. You say, isn't this a double standard? Peter's the same guy commanding me to submit, and here in Acts, he's not doing it. It's not a double standard. Peter's response teaches us that obedience to God is more important than obedience to man. We ought to obey God rather than men. The word translated as ought there in Acts chapter 5 is a really strong word that basically means it is necessary. Sometimes it's translated with the word must. We must obey God rather than men. And so when we take the whole of Scripture, this makes sense. It's logical. There's no double standard. We're commanded to submit to governmental authority always unless submission means disobeying God. If an authority commands us to do something that God prohibits or they prohibit us from doing something that God commands, we must be like Peter and have the courage to say we must obey God rather than men. But until then, we're commanded to submit. You say, but, but why? Why such submission, especially when leaders might be evil and governments aren't always honorable and sometimes laws are unfair? In fact, Brother Matt, I thought we don't even belong here. We're pilgrims and strangers here anyway. You're right. Think about it this way. Your king commands you to submit to these foreign governments for a while. And we're told in, back in 1 Peter to do this for his sake. Notice again in verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You could translate this as because of the Lord. You say, but still, why? Why does God care so much? Why, why is my submission to government, uh, anything he cares about, why am I doing that for him? Well, I think there may be a couple of reasons. One, Peter doesn't really get into here, but we sort of read it earlier in the service when I read Paul's words in Romans 13. One reason might be that any governmental authority on earth exists because God set it up. He holds all authority. And if there's a government, he delegated that government to have authority. And even though we may not always understand that, why God would set up that government, why he would make that man king or that man ruler, he has a plan. Just like he did when King Nebuchadnezzar was, was king over Babylon, taking the Jewish people captive. Just like he did when Pontius Pilate was this spineless, wicked governor over Judea during the life of Jesus. God had a plan, didn't he? Wicked men, wicked governments, didn't God work things out? And so we should understand that better than anybody. And so submission to civil governments on our part should be partly because we understand God's ultimate authority over everything. And even if we don't understand, we trust that God's in control and has a plan. And that's what Paul mentioned in Romans. Peter doesn't really get into that here, but he, he sort of gives us another reason in verse 15. Sort of expounds on what he means. Look at verse 15 again. He simply says, For so is the will of God, 
that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We need to submit to civil authority because it's God's will and because that's the godly way to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The word silence here is pretty strong. It actually gives the picture of a muzzle. Right? It's not ancient, you know, masks wearing. Right? It's a muzzle like you put on an animal. It's used in the verse, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. It's that same word. And so what Peter says here in verse 15 isn't completely different from what we saw last week in verse 12. Where Peter taught that even though people may speak evil against you, we're not to withdraw, we're not to fight back, rather we're to let our lives do the talking. We are to let that good life, those good works, that good example show who we truly are. Well, here, uh, think about it this way. The best and the godliest defense you have when foolish men in their ignorance slander you and maybe even accuse you to the government, the best defense you have is the fact that you're not a law-breaking, rebellious troublemaker. But that we're submissive, we're obedient, we pay our taxes, we're, we're those law-abiding citizens. We live good lives filled with good works. We're not angry anarchists or rebellious riots. We're, we're the kind of people you want. We strengthen society. We understand authority. We submit. We submit to the government because our ultimate authority told us to. And so think about it this way. Since we're submitting because of God, then it shouldn't really be done like the boy folding his arms and pouting, you know, like, I'm doing it, but man, I don't like it. That even shouldn't be our attitude as we submit. Notice in verse 16, Peter adds something, maybe even ironically here. Uh, it's ironic for us that we should do all this submitting, and we should do all this law-keeping because we're free. He says, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Most modern translations here add the word live or act like free men, but really those words live or act aren't there in the, in the Greek. It's just as free. And so this, this phrase links all the way back to the submission of verse 13. We are to submit as free men, which is kind of backwards, isn't it? That's kind of, that's an oxymoron. If I'm free, then why do I have to submit? But Peter doesn't want us to misunderstand or misuse our Christian freedom. It's wrong to use Christian freedom as an excuse to rebel against civil authority. Or as an excuse to break man-made laws. I'm free in Christ. They can't tell me what to do. They're not my master. That's the wrong approach to freedom. That's not what freedom and liberty is all about. We are to submit as free men, rather than using our freedom in a negative way, he says, not using your liberty or freedom for a cloak of maliciousness. The word cloak here has the idea of, uh, of something that's covering something up in a deceitful manner. If you were here Wednesday night or joined online in Brother Connor's class, he talked about the veil that Moses would put over his face. When Moses went and spoke with God and he communed with God, uh, God's glory is so amazing that even Moses' face started shining when he came down and would tell the Israelites what was going on and what God said. 
But over time, that glory started to fade. And Moses didn't want the Israelites to see that. And so he, he put a cloak on. He veiled his face. This is from the same word here. And so we don't need to use our Christian freedom as a veil for rebellion. Just think about this. How terrible would it be in a society for people to think, well, those Christians are just awful. I mean, you can't control them. They don't obey the laws. They're, they're about the worst citizens we can ask for. They won't listen. You know, how come? Because they say they're free in Christ. Can't tell them what to do. Peter says, don't do that. That's not the point of freedom. But rather, since we are free, as free, we voluntarily submit because our God commanded us to. And Peter reminds us that at the end of verse 16 when he reminds us that we're servants or slaves is a better translation of that word of God. Here's the thing. Being free doesn't mean you're free from any master. Doesn't mean you're free from all authority. We understand that even in America, right? You ever heard, it's a free country. I can do what I want. I agree with that. You're free to go rob a bank. You're still going to wind up in jail. You're free to do whatever you want. That doesn't mean you're free to do it without consequences. So we're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from all of that. But our master is Jesus. And so ultimately, even as we submit to our government, we don't do it with that arms folded, pouty lip, begrudgingly. And we don't do it just because our government says to do it. We do it because our God said to do it. And we want to obey Him and be those good witnesses in this world that Peter's just been talking about. Verse 17, Peter just sums up and ends this short section with just four rapid fire commands. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. The word honor here in both instances is the same word uh, both times. It's not the word for love. It's not the word for obey. It's not the word for submit again. Not that he's removing that from the equation. We've, we've been talking about that. But the word honor here has to do with respect, reverence. Honor is probably the best translation. And most of the time in the New Testament when this word is used, it's associated with how children are to treat their parents. All those times we see honor your father and mother, it's this word right here. And now we're told to honor all men. One author said it's basically the opposite of treating someone with scorn and contempt. We should be people in society that, that honor all other people. That we should value and respect and treat all other people with dignity. You could preach a whole other sermon on why but because they're made in God's image, because Christ died for them, because they need the gospel, and on and on. We are to be people who honor others. And then he sort of narrows it down again. He says, love the brotherhood. Sort of wide, honor all men, narrows it down, love the brotherhood. He's already commanded us to love one another at the end of chapter 1. And it almost seems out of place here to sort of bring that back up here when he's talking about submission to authority and everything, but... I don't know, maybe Peter knew and felt that as we are foreigners in this world and as we do our best to submit to, to civil authority, you know, there's going to be times that we don't need to forget about our love for one another and there's going to be times that our love for one another needs to motivate us to do these things. 
We need each other and we need and have to love one another because we live in a hostile world. Love one another. And then he says, fear God. Fear doesn't mean this cringing terror or dread that you're afraid at every misstep God's going to shoot a lightning bolt down and get you. But it's the idea of humility and reverence and awe before God. In fact, there's a close relationship with fearing God and obeying God, isn't there? Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes, here's, here's what it's all about. Here's the whole duty of man. What does he say? Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And so if we think about that in this context, fearing God and the obedience that should follow with that includes obeying God about the command to submit to our authorities, to honor all men, to love the brotherhood, and all these things that we're told to do here. Peter sort of ties a bow on it at the end when he says, honor the king. He, he makes us think back to those civil authorities. Remember Nero was emperor when Peter said that. Man, that's hard. Let's be honest, that's hard. How are these people to show honor for one of the most wicked men to ever walk the earth? Some people, I think, cop out here and say, he just meant respect the office. But that's not what he said. In fact, he just said honor all men. So even if you want to say this is the office, you still got to honor Nero. Honoring someone doesn't mean you agree with everything they do. It's a respect. And in this instance, as a king and in this context, honoring or respecting the king would mean submission. It would mean obedience and being a good citizen. And there's something else. Peter doesn't mention it here, but Paul does in, in 1 Timothy. What are we supposed to always do for every leader? Pray for them. Paul commanded us to pray for our leaders, and I think that is two ways we honor our leaders, even maybe the ones we didn't vote for, even the ones maybe we didn't agree with. We're still going to submit to civil authority, and we're going to pray for them. How can you honor somebody you don't pray for? What kind of respect does that show if you're not praying for somebody? If some of this teaching that Peter gives us here, if it makes us sort of uncomfortable or scorn because, you know, we're Americans with freedoms that we enjoy and, and don't forget when this was written. Peter gave this teaching when Nero was emperor when the, when the Roman Empire was, was ruling with a rod of iron and when his, his readers were already suffering persecution. And yet submission to civil authority was still demanded by God. And again, not one of us would trade places with him. We submit for the Lord's sake unless it's contrary to God. If the city of Bryant passed a law that said every public building must be painted Bryant blue. Well, let's have a, let's have a fellowship where we paint and right? eat popcorn when we're done painting the building blue. Does having a blue church building mean we can't worship God? Does it mean we can't serve God? Does it? No. Say that's a silly example, Brother Matt. I know. But if the city of Bryant passes a law that prohibits public Bible preaching, I hope you all take up a collection to bail me out of jail. 
because we must obey God rather than men. How about a real quick current example that nobody's talking about, right? What about masks and distancing and everybody's tired of it, I know. If our officials mandate that you have to wear masks in public places, if, a, if, if businesses say you can't come in here unless you wear a mask and then submit. Anger, violence, rebellion are never Christian virtues. But here's what you need to think about. And what I'm afraid of, what we need to start thinking and praying about is what if certain laws aren't quite as cut and dry? We've seen the past nine months or so now that things aren't always going to be as black and white as we may have thought they were going to be in the past. Listen, the devil is sneaky. He's sneaky. There may not be a law that says you can't preach publicly in Bryant. It may be something a little different. So this may sound strange, but let's pray that we'll have the wisdom to know when things are contrary to God's word. And then we'll have the courage to obey God rather than anyone else. And then if and when that time comes, we can actually still represent our God in an honorable way without anger, without hate, without violence, without loud rebelliousness. Why don't you think back to some of those examples that I gave you from Scripture earlier. In all those examples that I gave you, where civil authority did take a back seat to the authority of God. Even those people didn't rebel in an angry, hateful, rebellious, violent way. Daniel didn't take his plate and throw his ham sandwich against the wall of the palace and say, I'm not eating that. You know what he did? He humbly requested different food. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, all right, guys, let's rush this golden idol and let's tear it down. No. You know what they did? They just stood amidst a sea of people bowing down. And if you read those stories, those men were great witnesses for God. God blessed them and his name was blessed and proclaimed. And I wonder how different that story might be had those men, quote, rebelled in anger instead of, quote, rebelled with grace. Even when we have to obey God over men, we can still do it with grace instead of anger. James said the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. You know, Peter actually tried one time in an angry, violent way to... Uh, to stop human authority. Peter, the same one we're reading, took his sword out the night Jesus was betrayed and arrested and he cut a man's ear off. You and I better be glad Jesus Christ submitted to that authority. You and I better be glad that he understood what it meant for him to submit not only to those, the arrest of the religious leaders but also when he was turned over to Pilate. Jesus' submission cost him his life but Boy, God had a plan, didn't he? The death of Christ brings life to all who believe. If he would have been a rebel, we wouldn't have that. 
if you're unsaved, humble yourself under the authority of Christ. He loves you. He will forgive you. He will never fail you. You can trust that. Listen, our country is in upheaval right now, isn't it? Let's be honest, right? There is so much division. There have been riots. There are groups disrespecting authority. There are groups disrespecting leaders. And I promise you this, that's not going to change in November no matter who wins the election. But we're commanded to be different. We're under a foreign government right now. My king is Jesus. So let's not fall in line with this world, challenging civil authority, disrespecting our government, being angry, violent rebels, but rather for God's sake and because God commanded us to, let's submit and be the best citizens in the best country in the world. And let's look at these strange and difficult times as an opportunity to be better witnesses for the Lord. Because how different would that look? A humble, submissive citizen with good works and a good life amidst the backdrop of rioting and rebellion and hate. What an opportunity we have, North Bryant. To show this world some hope, some grace, some love, and to teach them about true authority. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Father, we bow. We're thankful for your word. Lord, And sometimes things are easy to understand, but they're harder to do. Father, I pray for us as individuals and as a church that we'll be law-abiding citizens that strengthen our society and that people see our good works and our good lives and they... They're silenced when they want to speak evil about us, God. God, I pray that you'll give this church the wisdom to know if and when laws are contrary to your word. And give us the courage and the grace to obey you always. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he did for us on the cross. And we await the perfect government. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you were encouraged by today's message from the Word of God. This sermon audio is available for free on all major podcast formats, as well as our website at northbryantbaptist.org. Thank you for listening.